Welcome to Japanese with Friends, brought to you by Resupress and Japan Switch. Get your kanji posters or sign up to study in Japan at resupress.com or sign up for online lessons at japanswitch.com. I'm your host, Colton Nairbeski, and today we're here with Anthony Griffin, a Tokyo based entrepreneur who now runs Saga Consulting, where he helps small to mid sized Japanese companies market to global audiences. As a communications coach, he's been credited for helping Fortune 500 executives earn global level promotions. He's a very sharp guy who happens to also be really kind to people he interacts with and is very generous with the time. So generous, in fact, that he's here with us today to talk about his experiences learning Japanese, living in Japan, and really graduating from a job and into running his own business. Anthony, thanks so much for being with us today.、Uh, could you give us a quick self intro and maybe some background on yourself? Sure. And thank you, Colton, for the kind introduction. So, again, I'm Anthony Griffin, and I'm a communications consultant here in Tokyo. I help small to mid sized Japanese companies communicate and market to the world. And we do that through social media management, content marketing, and communications coaching. So, I've been here for a little over 12 years now, and I'm originally from. A medium sized city called Riverside in Southern California. Very cool. So, all the way from Riverside, California, which I have heard of, by the way,、um, why、Great. did you choose、uh, Japan as home base? Wow, that is a, a long story.、Um, <laughs> awesome. And the story, the story evolves、um, the longer I stay here. But, you know, I kind of feel like Japan chose me.、Um, so I grew up in the 80s. And during that time, you know, Japan's economy was rapidly growing and that had a big influence on the United States. So I was growing up surrounded by Japanese products and services,、uh, pop culture, for example, cars, you name it. And I was just fascinated with、uh, all of that. So long story short,、uh, as a business major in university, I had a chance to. Study, or I wouldn't say I had a chance, I had to study a foreign language. And I figured, let me give Japanese a shot. And surprisingly, I didn't fail. So I, I actually did pretty well.、Um, however, I didn't have any plans to immediately go to Japan. So I worked, I earned my MBA, and then I finally landed a marketing job where I could take decent sized vacations. And then I traveled. To Japan back to back in 2007, 2008. And I really wanted to know what it was like to live here. So in 2009, I packed my bags and moved here. The original plan was just to stay for a year, but opportunities kept presenting themselves. And here I am 12 years later. Wow, look at you go. That's really interesting. <laughs> like,、uh... I, I kind of went through a, a similar flow when I was learning、uh, Japanese in high school. And、uh, it was just, I had to learn a language as part of my,、uh, my program, as in the IB program. And、uh, yeah, Japanese just seemed kind of interesting. And, and lo and behold, it took me a similar path to you. I just visited Japan. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I, I kind of need to try living in this country and, and see what things are like. So I, I know that feeling very well and how alluring it can be to kind of step into a place so different, but you know, in some ways so familiar to, to things that you. Are into it in, in your home country. Yeah, I would have loved to study in high school, but that wasn't, wasn't an option. So I took on Spanish first, and, and university、oh, yeah. was really my first chance to, to study Japanese. So、um, I'm a little, little jealous of you. <laughs> um, that's very cool, though, that you actually you got your MBA before you came to Japan. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Sure.、Um, well, so I, I I guess 
a little known secret is I actually started, my first major was computer science, actually. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I tried that for about a year and a half. It was interesting, but I just didn't develop a passion for it. So I switched to business with an emphasis on marketing and communication, and I just fell in love with it. And then I got these ideas of maybe one day working for myself or starting a business. But by the time I graduated, I didn't feel like I was properly equipped to do that. So I started thinking about the next step, which would naturally be an MBA. So I went out and worked uh, for two years, you know, to get an MBA, you, you usually need some work experience. And then I, I came back to get an MBA, not necessarily to join a big consulting firm or get a particular job. I just felt that I needed more knowledge, more experience in case I could ever work for myself one day. So mm -hmm. that was my main motivation behind that. Wow. That's very cool. And then when you did that and you decided you were going to move to Japan, what was your, your first position in Japan? My first position was with a pretty famous Eikawa called uh, Eon. So Okay. Yeah, they, they brought me over here and they are actually the only uh, Eikawa I applied for. Um, another thing that not many people realize is as much as I love Japan, I was really torn about coming here. Because, as many people know, entering the Eikawa industry could, could uh, derail your career. So after weighing all the options, I figured, okay, Eon seems to be the most professional. You know, their finances are in order because that time a lot of Eikawas were having financial problems. They had a good support system. And they actually considered my background. They spoke with one of my professors. You know, they considered my MBA and because of that, they assigned me to a school or a branch in Shinjuku. And almost all of my students were professionals from entry level to managers to even CEOs. And I thought, okay, if, if they're going to put this much effort into hiring me, the least I could do is try it out for a year and see what happens. So that's mm -hmm. what pulled me away from a pretty cozy existence in Riverside. <laughs> that's a, that's actually a really cool story. You know, I, I, I guess it's a very different image than I had of basically any of uh, especially major Eikaiwa organizations uh, would not have imagined that they were looking at, you know, applicants backgrounds and, and really putting effort like that into finding a, a proper position for them. Um, you know, for somebody, and, and for those of you who don't know who are listening, Eikaiwa is, uh, it's like an English conversation school. So it's, it's a school that Japanese uh, students, professionals, adults would go to, uh, and either in group lessons or one-on-one -on -one situation would have uh, English lessons, um, you know, and it could be a good program if you are really committed to it as a Japanese person and, and you can improve your English. Uh, there's a bit of a reputation or a stigma that Eikaiwa is just kind of a a thing that people do and therefore the teachers are also just kind of, you know, just doing it and putting in the hours and kind of calling it in. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting industry, you know, based on your experience, do you think it would be a good experience or a good choice for somebody uh, similar to you who is hoping to come to Japan and get the work visa and get that kind of foothold in the country? That's a, a good question with a complex answer. <laughs> so <Awesome. laughs> um, I'll do my best to, to provide some perspective. I, I believe that, well, there's two factors. Number one, how quickly, how soon do you want to come to Japan? Japan is not a country where you can just wake up and come here on your own terms. 
someday. So if speed is a priority, Akaiwas are a good bet. They're probably the fastest way you can come over here regardless of your background. Uh, the second factor, however, is, as I mentioned, can you make this Akaiwa life sync with your career? So for me, you know, I was put in a business environment. I could use my business skills not only for uh, training and coaching and teaching, but also I could use those skills to support the companies that hired me, you know, to improve their internal systems, to write Facebook posts, to train and develop uh, staff and employees, to create new products and services. So in the end, I didn't have to derail my career so much. But if your passion is, uh, for example, maybe graphic design and you come over as an Akaiwa teacher, you might have some frustrations there because as, as you mentioned, Colton, it's, it's easy to get pigeonholed as this, this Akaiwa teacher. And if you're not prepared to deal with that, it might not be the right way to come. So it really depends yeah. on your situation. That's a really good point. And it's funny you mentioned graphic designers specifically because I happen to know a few graphic designers who are long-term Akaiwa teachers and it's a constant gripe. You know, the money is easy, the hours are pretty flexible. Uh, but on the other hand, it's really tough to break out of, um, right. you know, so it's, it's rare, I guess, to come across a, a case of somebody similar to yourself who came over with a very, uh, it almost sounds like a very firm mission in mind uh, to use the Akaiwa experience as a bit of a stepping stone and, and break into something else right after. Was that, uh, was that quite difficult? Like, what was the main factor for you to be able to get into the Akaiwa position yourself effectively to then do the next thing right after that? And yeah, another good question. You you mentioned the word breakout often to break out of the industry. And mm -hmm. as I look back, for me, it's not so much of breaking in or breaking out. It's how well does the industry merge with what you're doing? So it takes a lot of planning up front, a lot of networking, a lot of talking to people. And then it takes periodic self-evaluation. So Actually, one thing I learned from my student, which I one of my students, early students, which I remember to this day, is for everything you do, you want to give it at least two years. The first year, you're basically learning things. And mm -hmm. then the second year, you usually repeat that cycle. And the second year is where you start innovating and adding your own touch. So you need at least two years to figure out what's working out. So for me, I would evaluate my situation every two years? Am I doing what I am passionate about? Are there growth opportunities? Am I progressing? And fortunately for me, about every two years, I would get a promotion or move up or uh, discover some new thing to pursue. So um, in, in summary, you, you really have to think about that. And regarding breaking out of the industry, that wasn't really a sudden thing. It's just after doing those, you know, two year evaluations, eventually I realized, okay, I've done all that I can from a business perspective in this company, in this industry, what's the next step? And at, at each step of the process, you also have to look at your options. Are you willing to pack up your bags and go back to the United States? Uh, can you do that at that point? Are you willing to accept that if, if things don't go your way? Uh, so you really have to know what you're willing to do and what you're willing to sacrifice. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point for people. You know, it's it's very easy, uh, especially when you're earning a paycheck, to find yourself in a position where you you don't have the the freedom or the leeway to to break away from that uh, that flow. And uh, especially yeah. if you're not using your time effectively in the evenings and the weekends, it could be really tough to find that next step. If that's you know if if you're confident that that's what you want to do. Uh, you really do need to make the time and put in the effort and the groundwork and and meet the people and do the things because um, nothing nothing falls into your lap. It's and I think that might be part of the factor yeah. that keeps people who are not they don't see themselves as long term Aikawa teachers, uh, but they end up being long term Aikawa teachers because they they're not it's maybe not for lack of trying, but they perhaps don't know what the next step is or how to accomplish that and what uh, steps they need to take to do so. So yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. It takes a lot of introspective uh, work, I think, to really you know be honest with yourself. What is it that you want to do, and why, and how, and and what are you going to do to get there? Absolutely. And and to add on what you you said, you know, you you've got to look inward. But I neglected to mention that you also need to expand outward. So for a lot of people who are Aikawa instructors and they're looking to get into a different industry, they have to take it upon themselves to network outside of the their colleagues or other teachers. So they need to get engaged with their local chambers of commerce or events centered around whatever their, their desired career goals are. And you do see, as, as you kind of hinted to, people get comfortable when they first come here. They, they are only you know, going to the izakaya with their, their teaching friends. They're, they're not making themselves known in other circles. And if you don't mm-hmm. do that, it's gonna be very hard to uh, break out as, as we keep saying. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I, I'm going to pivot for one second here and ask you just about your lang- or Japanese language skills. Um, you know, sure. you said you started studying Japanese university before you came to Japan. Were you at a comfortable place with Japanese? Did you think you were and then found out you weren't perhaps? Uh, how did that kind of come to be? And, and where would you say, you know, your, your comfortableness or your uh, kind of place with the languages right now? Uh, I don't, I don't think I ever felt confident before living here. So, um, to, to give a concrete answer, I, you know, my first year was in university as we discussed, and it it was an excellent education. By the time I finished that, I could write 100 kanji from memory, pen and paper. I could ask for directions. I, you know, get help, order things at, at, uh, restaurants. So I thought that was good enough to travel here without incident. So um, I could come. Yeah, yeah, it, it was comfortable for for traveling. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, buying train tickets, getting directions, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I was comfortable. However, I I stopped. I had stopped studying for several years. I took a refresher course before coming here. But uh, once I moved and worked here, I realized that this was just going to be a lifelong project. So, um, you know, I continued taking private lessons. Now I self-study. I'm still self-studying. And now my level is kind of lower business Japanese, I would say. You know, I can handle emails, basic meetings, um, conversation, visiting clients, things like that. Um, But I still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always tough. You know, they, they want to put a box around it and say, you're a beginner level, you're an intermediate level, you're an advanced level. This was business Japanese. That's not, you know, it's, it's yeah. language is language in, in my opinion. And it's really tough to kind of pin down what level you're at, but um, to your point, like, you know, are you comfortable doing the things that you want to do? And if so, is that a good level for you or do you strive to go further? It's, uh, there's a lot of personal choices and even 
in my journey learning Japanese, I, I did reach a point uh, with business Japanese specifically where I was like, well, I can basically live my life and run business and, and do meetings and all that type of stuff in Japanese. And that's comfortable enough. And I, that's why I, like, I never strove to take the N1. I was uh, kind of hit a point where I was like, mm, this is, this is fine. I, I don't need to get another piece of paper that, uh, you know, certifies that necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah. In your line of business in communication specifically, do you find uh, lack of Japanese ever to hinder you or has Japanese, uh, has your Japanese language skills um, been instrumental to your success as a, an entrepreneur in Japan? They have been instrumental for sure. Uh, to, to give a concrete example, on average, I'd say about a third of my revenue comes from companies who have required me to at least do some of the business with them in Japanese. So for business development, for maintaining relationships uh, and, and just getting a, a wider diverse set of clients, I could not have done that without my Japanese. And I probably wouldn't even be here talking to you. Now, <laughs> I want to stress, this doesn't mean you need to have perfect Japanese. I make mistakes all over the place, all over the time, but I have a basic competency and I'm always willing to try and and make that that communication happen. So Man, in I my make case, mistakes in English. It's like <laughs> Yeah, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So uh, but yeah, for my for my case, in my case, it's been instrumental. That could vary depending on your product, service, industry, or job. But uh, for me, it it has paid dividends. Yeah. I, I met this fellow one time and uh I think he he makes rounds in kind of the the LinkedIn uh, spaces in Tokyo specifically, and he's a, he's an American guy. And uh, him and I sat down uh, at Tokyo Station, and he told me that he has purposely avoided learning Japanese, and he's been in Japan for something like thirty plus years or, or something like that. And uh, for all intents and purposes, at a glance, very successful guy hires Japanese people to do the language uh, and the communications for him. I just can't imagine living life like that in a country where you're, you're forever removed from the people that you're, you know, interacting with. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. It's, it's not only, you know, for business, it just, it just increases my quality of life here. And absolutely. It's, it's all relative, you know, for me, I'm, I'm kind of stubborn and independent. So I like to be able to do everything that a normal Japanese person would do on their own. I don't want to have to ask someone for help to, I don't know, open a bank account or something like that. <laughs> um, however, however, I do understand, you know, people who aren't concerned with that. And Japanese is an incredible uh, use of your time. It takes up tons of time. So if you're maybe like a busy executive or something like that, you have a lot of support and assistance, you know, there might be diminishing returns on your study efforts. It might not be the best yeah. thing to do, but for me, holistically in, you know, social life, daily life and business, you know, studying Japanese is the way to go. Yeah. No. I, and yeah, to your point, I, I thought that was one of the coolest things. Like when I finally found myself, you know, comfortable speaking with other people, I was like, wow, I, I have access to another country's worth of people that I can talk with now. And it was just such a yeah. cool feeling. And, you know, when you step back and, and then I was like, oh, I want to learn all the languages. I want to learn Korean and German and <laughs> Italian. And, you know, you start going crazy. I'm like, oh, well, okay, we'll just, you know, focus on this one for now and, uh, and get to a better place with it. But it's a really, it's a really cool experience being able to speak with people who otherwise would be totally removed from your life. Absolutely. And, and I, I want to say you might read on the internet a lot of kind of negative stories about 
issues between foreigners in Japan and things like that. But I, I will say, if, if you can speak the language, a lot of the barriers between Japanese people and, and, and foreigners, they just disappear. They, they disintegrate. Uh, Absolutely. That, that motivates me every day. You know, I love just being able to walk around my neighborhood and jump into a shop and just start talking Japanese and seeing people smile and, and happy to communicate with me. I mean, you can't, you can't really put a price tag on that. No, that's uh that is a hundred percent true. And uh, no, it's, it's a cool feeling. So if any, anybody listening to this right now is, you know, in the process of maybe beginning studying Japanese, considering studying Japanese uh, because you have some desire you know, to, to be in the country or work or live or, or do anything in Japan, I, I highly recommend, you know, give yourself a nice baseline um, before you come and, and put the effort in. Like Anthony says, it takes a lot of hours. Uh, in my opinion, they're well spent, you know, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's a really cool experience to get to a point one day where like, oh, I just actually had a full conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> you, exactly. You know, everyone's uh very forgiving so you know i certainly wouldn't want to put the message out there that you you've got to be perfect because again i you know <laughs> I, I make mistakes all the time but I, but i put in an effort yeah if uh you know somebody said to you that they were uh starting to self-study and uh, perhaps they're not in japan right now is there any advice that you might give them if well if i could I, if they if they are a little bit flexible you know i am a big fan of formal Japanese education. Uh, the My university education is a great bedrock for that. If university is too expensive, community college is affordable and you can do it after work. So I, even if they're, they're hooked on self-study, I would say that initially. However, beyond that, if you really only want to self-study, the lesson I learned over the years, and I wish I had realized this so much sooner, is focus on frequency, the words that are most frequently used in your life and in your environment. So um, you've got frequency lists online. If you're in some kind of Japanese environment with Japanese writing all around you, you know, learn, what, read what those things are. You know, if you are a fan of, you know, Japanese animation or games or manga and you're seeing all of this Japanese around you, start there because not only is that going to keep you motivated, but it's just going to be practical. And if you develop that habit, when you come to Japan, you can do the same thing. And you can, you know, when you go to the bank, you can say, okay, what do I need to open this bank account? Or you go to the post office, what phrases and grammars do I need to do this? And this sounds obvious, but if you're following a textbook model strictly, a lot of the textbooks don't prepare you for that. They, they're giving you kind of strange words or uncommon words. JLPT uh, does it uh, probably after N3, it, it, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for practical life. So mm -hmm. yeah, in, in summary, study what's around you, focus on things that appear frequently. That's a really good point. Uh, it's funny, you Thank know, you. that parallels so closely to the, the idea of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule that people talk about a lot. Yeah. It's, you know, 20% yeah. of the words in the language are going to be 80% of your communication, uh, if not even skewed right. heavier than that. It's, uh, there's so few words that you'll find yourself using so often, uh, you'll start to feel quite comfortable. I, I found, especially in the early days with, uh, you know, going and doing things just because you're using the same, you know, 10, 15 question words. 
and you can kind of expect the same general answers, you know, oh, it was right, oh, it was left, it's behind you, it's, you know, two stops that way type of thing. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting about the, the frequency approach. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, yeah, and good, good comparison, you know, with the Pareto principle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a question for you just to, kind of from the business side. You know, you, you run your own business and you've been doing so for, sorry, how many years now? Oh, that's a good question. I think I just passed or just I'm on year five. So four years under my belt. Okay. So that's really fantastic. You know, it's uh, it takes a ton of commitment to get over the hill of doing something and then, you know, to continue being able to do that uh, for more than one or two years is, is testament to, you know, you're doing something really great and, and helping people. And, and when you bring value, that's when business is successful. Um, Thank you. If somebody was similarly entrepreneurial minded and they wanted to learn Japanese and put in the groundwork and, and put in the time and go to Japan. Um, you know, do you have any advice for them? Is there anything that they should be considering uh, as they start to put those plans in place? Yes. <laughs> um, what I see a lot of and, and where I see a lot of frustration for entrepreneurs in Japan is they, a lot of people are in, in love with their product or service. Maybe it's been successful in their home market or other countries. And they come to Japan and, and with the mindset that Japanese people are going to love my product. I love my product. Everyone else does. And they come here and it doesn't do too well and they get stressed out. So my advice is, you know, do your homework. Sure, you love your product, other people do, but how do you know that Japanese people will love your product? You know, have you lived here? Have you talked to people? Have you built a network? Have you done some research? So when coming here as an entrepreneur, you want to have a product pull strategy and not a push strategy. And you really need to, however you want to do it, you really need to figure out what do the people want? Do they want your product at all? Do they want an altered version of your product? And that can be difficult. In, in my case, that's what my whole work-life experience was. You know, working at an Eikaiwa, working for the American Chamber of Commerce, I was learning what Japanese business people wanted and needed. And that shaped my initial product offering and as I learn more, I, you know, I continue to adjust my products and services to fit what people want. So um, that's that would be my number one advice: is, is do your homework, you know, and kind of build something from the ground up. That is super interesting. I had never really thought about it that way before. You know, putting in the oh. the time up front uh, in market. It's almost like market research for yourself, especially as you're launching a product or service. Um, you know, you don't have a budget to do the, the focus groups. And so you instead earned a salary while you were learning about the people and their needs and really getting to know them. And, exactly. Uh, exactly. Okay. So that's, that's a super interesting tie in then for anybody who is considering something like, you know, a Kaiwa or English teaching work. Um, there's a number of people, you know, who want to do the jet program and come to Japan and, and right. teach uh, through that program. If you are looking to do something afterwards, it's a really good time to take advantage of the fact that you are interfacing and interacting with your future clients and your future uh, customers, basically. Yeah, and, and thank you for mentioning that. I can honestly say I can trace at least one of my clients all the way back to my first year here in Japan. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Uh, 
Yeah, it, it is amazing. But uh, yeah, we kept in touch. They, they tracked my career, their career increased. And, you know, here we are 12 years later working together. So uh, really, it, it's you can learn so much by working a job. And, and the popular narrative out there is that you have entrepreneur on one side of the spectrum and worker on the other and that there's no overlap and they're the enemies of each other. But that's not true. A lot of entrepreneurs, you know, evolve from workers using the lessons they've learned uh, to, to start a business or work for themselves. And, and I think that's a, a great pathway for many people. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever met a true clear-cut entrepreneur who has not worked and worked significantly and taken lessons from that time. So. Yeah, it's a, that's a very important point. It's, it's enticing sometimes to think, oh, I'm going to go to this new country. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to run my own show and, and have all the time and all the money. And all the, uh, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. It's yeah, it, that it, way. It, I agree. It, it doesn't work that way. Eventually, uh, you know, hopefully maybe you can get more autonomy or independence. But as, as the phrase goes, you know, before you break the rules, you got to know what the rules are. <laughs> so uh, actually, yeah, I read that quote just recently. It was uh more succinctly, it was one of the Greek artists, I can't remember which one, and uh, he said, you have to learn, you know, how to do it as a professional before you can do it as an artist. Exactly. That was really, exactly. really poignant, really interesting. Um, yeah. So within your industry, as a communications expert, uh, you know, you've dealt with a lot of different people and organizations, uh, both, I'm assuming, in Japan and out of Japan. What, uh, what do you think is the biggest commonality across organizations or people who are struggling to be heard? in the Japanese market? Well, this, this is kind of related to my previous point, but I believe that a lot of us, you know, we need to listen before we're heard. Um, you know, you've got to try to establish empathy with the people you're trying to serve before your voice can be heard. And, and I didn't interview one of my projects just for my blog several years ago, um, I interviewed a Japanese professional who echoed this, this sentiment and I'll never forget it because I thought it was brilliant advice. She said, you know, she trained foreigners from all countries to work in the service industry for Japanese companies. And she dealt with this issue. And she said, look, you know, kind of go in the company, learn how the company works, learn about Japanese culture, learn how things should be done. And then if, if you've demonstrated that you can do that, then more people or companies in Japan are likely to hear your voice and listen to your suggestions and ideas and apply them. But if you're just, you know, coming right off the, the airplane and, and, you know, saying, hey, listen to me, look at me, uh, you know, you're just not going to have that kind of credibility. And mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, a, there seems to be a belief that, that that permeates a lot of people these days that they're entitled to uh, be listened to right away. But traditionally, you know, we, we generally have to listen and, and maybe even prove ourselves before we can be heard. And perhaps that's not fair and, and, and perhaps it's unfortunate, but I like to deal with realities. And to me, that's, that's what's really going on. Wow, we just got very deep. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, that's awesome. I think a lot. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that's how deep you wanted to go, but but oh yeah, 
it's, it's the human experience, you know, it's, it's, you're moving to a new country, you're learning a language, you're trying new things. It's, it's not just, you can't put anything in a silo. It's all part of the human experience and how you interact with others. And uh, I think it's such a cool experience, especially when you are considering moving country specifically, it gives you a bit of a, a chance to almost restart and really consider who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, how are you going to do it? Are you going to do things differently? You know, to your point of doing the thing uh, for two years, you've, you've had your year or however many in your home country. Now that you're taking those experiences, how are you going to build on that with the people elsewhere? And, and what are you going to do? And uh, you know, how do you remain humble and have empathy for their situation and their being in their country and, and, uh, and forge those important relationships? Because yeah, it's, even in my experience in business, everything has come from human relationships. There's nothing, yes. there's no button you can press online. There's no course you can take that just guarantees you success. It 99.99999% of the time comes from speaking with somebody and having a good conversation and, uh, you know, just asking them about themselves and what they do and why they do it. And yeah, creating those connections. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can, another client I can trace back to, several years, maybe I guess four, four or five years ago, when I was first getting started, I gave a, a free seminar to an organization. And, uh, you know, I met someone there and we just kept in touch. I never tried to sell them anything. We just, we'd catch up for, for coffee and uh, have lunch on occasion and talk about our lives and everything. And um, this person happened to, to work for one of the most famous companies in Japan. And then again, let's say years later, all of a sudden I get a call, this person's in a bind, they're familiar with what I could do. And before I know it, I'm dealing, you know, again, one of the country's largest companies as a sole proprietor. And I could never have imagined that. So just like you said, it all started with a regular relationship, um, you know, no sales, just talking and, and, and being familiar with each other. Very cool. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. So I am going to move us into the bit of a speed round now and uh, sure. five, five topics for you. You're going to let me know if you think they're overrated or underrated. All right. Okay. 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 One-on-one -on -one language lessons. Underrated. Um, short, short explanation. They are great at when you first move into Japan, you can get customized help for whatever situation is causing you difficulty. Cool. Fair enough. Uh, cats, and I'm not talking about the musical. <laughs> oh, got it, got it. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, underrated. Unbeknownst to many people, cats are actually pack animals, and they do show loyalty. So they have a bad <laughs> reputation of, of not being loyalty, but they are. They they are pack animals just like dogs. Plus, if you work long hours, they're great because you know you they they can take care of themselves while they're while you're gone. You know they. They don't need you to take them out to go to the bathroom or anything like that. So I'm going to go with uh, underrated. All right, cool. I, I resonate with your second point on that. Uh, JLPT N1. <laughs> um, underrated and overrated. It Ooh. is underrated if you want to work for a Japanese company. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to have on your resume. It's overrated if you want to work for yourself. None of my clients have ever asked me for that kind of certificate. They just talk to me and judge whether or not I can communicate with them. Perfect point. Uh, LinkedIn as a platform. Extremely underrated. Um, so I'm, I'm known as, as maybe a, a LinkedIn shill, I guess, but uh, they don't pay me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <but>, uh, <laughs> 
yeah, they, they don't pay me. I'm not associated with them. It's just ever since graduate school, that platform has continually benefited me as far as knowledge, uh, networking, friends, clients, and everything. So um, I'm definitely going to go underrated with that one. Cool. And uh, finally, suits. Wearing suits. Suits also, <laughs> also underrated. Um, Ooh. Especially if you're here in Japan. So I know... This shouldn't be the case, it's unfortunate, but the reality is, and again, dealing with reality, we are judged by our appearance. And if you're in a culture that values a suit, um, you could spend your whole lifetime trying to change someone's mind and say, hey, don't, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but I find it easier just to kind of take advantage of that perception and wear the suit um, as well. So I'm gonna go with underrated in Japan. Um, California, probably overrated. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Uh, and final question for you today before we let you go. Um, what is, in your opinion, the number one thing that somebody can start doing today to ensure future success in the Japanese business world? Well, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, I, I have what I call three pillars of, of success in Japan or three pillars for achieving success in Japan. And they kind of need to be worked on all at the same time. So I hope that counts as one thing. Um, sure, yeah, we'll let you have it. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but in my, my experience, that has been obviously studying Japanese, networking, and developing a well-defined skill set or obtaining some kind of advanced degree. So start working on those things now if you're planning on being a professional here in Japan. All three of those things um, have helped me significantly. Totally agree. In fact, I, uh, I read about that on my website as well. I, it's very specifically, it's uh, learning the language is not enough, but it's one of the fundamental things you do need to do. It's uh, match that with the right people, the right opportunities and the right uh, skill set. You can basically do whatever you want. There it is. There it is. Cool. Exactly. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, Anthony. And uh, if people are looking to interact with either you or Saga Consulting, uh, where should they check out uh, or where should they try and find you? Oh, thanks for asking. Probably the best way would be my website, which is consultsaga.com. And there you can see all of the social networks that I use and you can interact with me on the one that suits you uh, the best. However, as you can probably guess, I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So that's probably the best way to find me. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having you back on at uh, some point in the future here. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you so much.